why don't you tell me your name and introduce yourself? Gosh, I don't even know where to start. I am a German who immigrated to America, has reverse immigrated back to Germany. I'm a traveler, very much so, um, but I'm stuck and can travel, as of course none of us can, which was a big reason that we re-emigrated back to Germany to travel. And here we are. You came back. When did you go back to Germany? Uh, it was two and a half years ago. So you went there partially to travel, as you say. Yes. You're feeling some cabin fever. Very much. I mean, I'm not alone in this, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, you're absolutely right. And tell me a little bit, just give me the context. You emailed me. Tell me your story. What did you share in that email? Yeah, so I... Oh, I think I'll start at the beginning. I think most of my adult life, I've been very identified with my career as sort of the source of my value that I define. And um, somewhere a few years ago, let's say four, maybe three years ago, I was in a PhD program and fairly unhappy and very obsessed with my career. I, I, I think that's pretty normal for PhD students. I mean, I knew something wasn't right. I read your book and it really clarified for me that what wasn't right is that I wasn't living according to my values. I had these dreams I've had for a really long time. Um, I wanted to become a mother. I moved to the US with my parents when I was 12. I wanted to move back to Europe. I wanted to travel. That was always a big passion for me in Europe, especially. But I wasn't doing any of those things because I kept prioritizing my career. I made some really big changes at the time. I Shortly thereafter, we moved to Paris for six months, which was an unusual move for a PhD student and took me out of my program for a little bit. And then coming back to the US to finish my program and get my PhD a year later, moved to Germany for a postdoc, which was on paper looks like a good decision. And I'm sure, I mean, I know in hindsight, it was a very good decision, but it was also me turning down a very prestigious postdoc in the US, um, something that I think quite a few of my advisors were not terribly happy with. I was starting to make some decisions that were not prioritizing my career and instead prioritizing my dreams. And we tried starting a family and we tried for a very long time and that didn't work very well. And so then we did IVF and tried that for a while too. And that didn't work terribly well for a while. Um, but eventually we got lucky, very lucky. And I had a daughter in May, in the middle of the pandemic. But what's sort of happened since then is that, so I have all these dreams that I've had and I've, I'm finally living them out. I'm in Germany. I'm, I've had been at least traveling through Europe. I have this daughter um, who's amazing and my partner and I are happy together and I can't seem to enjoy any of it. And it's because I'm so focused on scarcity, on what I'm lacking, on the future one of the big things that's on my mind is career. <laughs> uh, my postdoc ends when my maternity leave ends in May of next year, 2021. And it's not a terribly good economy and I'm scared of not getting a job. And so I've started applying for jobs and I've gotten so wrapped up in the stress of squeezing in work while having an infant and no childcare and no family support. I've realized I'm not really enjoying this dream that I'm actually living out. And I'm struggling getting back to the kind of person that I was when I was making these really good sort of essentialist decisions. That's what I would like to get back to. But in the midst of all this worry and scarcity and the unusual situation in the world, can't seem to get myself there. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's all very helpful. Let me tell you what I really heard. 
there were two paths at first. There was a career path which consumed more and more of you. You saw it as positive, but it seemed to consume you so much that this second path, the dream, was really sidelined for a long time. It hardly got any investment. So the turning point is you read essentialism and you say, okay, it's time to prioritize the dream and not let the career pursuits dictate the strategy of my life. So you make these strategic trade-offs. You are deliberate. You're intentional. It gets you there. It gets you back to Germany. Uh, it gets you closer to the lifestyle that you want. You are able to fulfill this dream of starting a family. You have your daughter. So now you have achieved a big part of what it is you were trying to set out to do. That's like the first part of the story. Did I miss anything with that? No, that was perfectly reflected. But this dream is complicated by what it sounds like the biggest complication is COVID. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And that has made the dream less satisfying, far more isolated, having a baby at the hospital without anyone to be able to be there without all of that support you would normally expect to have and would normally have is, is sidelined the travel so that just the, the variety that comes with travel, the full living of the dream isn't being manifest. So I thought in advance of today's conversation that maybe what was going on is that you were just saying, well, the dream isn't really all I was hoping it would be. But listening to you now, I think what you're saying is, I can't seem to get the clarity I had back then. I don't regret having made those decisions. I am really glad I've made all of those decisions, but I want to be in that place again, where in this new reality, I can also feel clear about what I'm supposed to do next. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And a piece of this that I think is relevant, so as I'm applying for jobs, I'm also running into the situation that I have to make a choice of where do we live? We've made a choice to move back to the US to be closer to parents who are aging. And that, of course, takes us away from this dream that we've also managed to make a reality. And I'm having to make choices about when to start work. Do I leave maternity leave early uh, so that I can get any job just in case there's no other jobs? And so these factors are pulling at me to walk away from that dream a little bit. And it's scary, but also family is really important to us. And COVID's made really clear to us that living abroad maybe isn't the most sustainable thing if we want to be close to family. What I hear is a grappling with the power of dreams from before versus your new reality. Before it was career versus dream in favor of the dream. Now it's move to being with family versus the dream. And what I think you are feeling is some guilt attached to leaving behind the dream. Well, am I failing? Did I fail at my dream? Am I giving up something? I felt so clear about that before. Is that what you're feeling? Am I close? Correct me if I'm wrong. 
You're right. I don't think I realized it, but especially what you said about, am I giving something like, am I giving up? That really resonates. And as you're speaking, I'm also realizing that I feel fear because I don't have a clear direction or dream moving forward. This was the dream. So the fear is, well, if I give this up, what if there's not a new dream? That's exactly it. It's not really a clarity problem in the sense that I sense within you a decent amount of clarity that, oh, it's time to move back. It's time to be close to family. That's what feels right under these circumstances, under my new reality now as a mother, as a family. But what the sacrifice this time is a known dream for an unknown dream, especially the risk that there won't be another one. I'm nodding my head. You can't see. I'm nodding my head. I wish I could have gotten this clear on it on my own. You're absolutely <laughs> right. I think what's important here is that you don't feel, to my understanding, unsure about the next move. The worry, the fear is no dream. But that isn't the same as not feeling clear about what to do next. So I wonder if by accepting what you do know, what you are clear about, it might not give you permission to then breathe a little clearer, be a bit freer, and open yourself up to what the new dream could be. So the terminology I thought of is give up and give in. Mm. Um, if I give up and give in and move back to the US and walk away from this dream that we worked so hard to get to, Obviously not all of it. We're taking our daughter with us. <laughs> yeah, she, I think she would mind. <laughs> but if, if I walk away and go back to the US, I worry that what I'm walking away from is dreaming. Not just that I don't know what the next dream would be, but that I'm saying dreaming is all nice and good and here's reality and dreaming's not a part of it. What you just said is important. What you feel like the trade-off is, is not this dream but all dreams. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yes. That dreaming itself is really what you're giving up. As you hear yourself saying that, you just had a reaction to it. What's the reaction inside of you? What do you feel as you hear that put back to you? A bit of judgment, frankly. Recognizing my privilege and seeing that like, it is a choice. It is a choice to move back to the US. It's not, no one's forcing us. And so I'm having a bit of judgment around seeing it in quite such dramatic terms. You feel like people, somebody listening to that might say, oh, come on, of course, you're not giving up all your dreams. You're just doing the next thing that makes sense. Is that, is that what the reaction is? Perhaps somebody that's listening, but certainly I myself, I'm thinking that. You yourself. Yeah. That's more important. When you hear it, you go, well, that's not true. Yeah. When you hear it coming back to you, you're going, well, of course, that's yeah, that's what you're saying. It's not just not true. You're saying, of course, that's not true. I don't have to give up dreaming just because I'm making this choice right now. I think my struggle has been that it's been one dream for so long. I mean, over a decade um, of one dream that I've sort of dreamt about and then finally tried to make happen, made happen. And now I'm not enjoying it because of the fear of giving it up. And I think 
there's two parts to this. It's one that we're speaking about, which is this fear of giving up dreaming, which I hadn't realized was actually the fear. So the future, but also the present in, in focusing on this fear and the future. I'm also not enjoying the dream as it's happening right now. Yeah, you're so worried about giving it up and what that means and what I think it means to you where you said give up and give in. It means I think I failed. And so because of the fear of that, the worry of it, you're not even enjoying being there right now. Doing it is also being sacrificed. Yeah, yeah. In my experience, dreams are a really important, powerful elements of our lives. They, they really matter. And we have got to be very careful that they are our servants, not our masters, that we get to choose which direction to go in and when, and especially that we're careful to know when our dreams have served us and when it's okay to let go. I've shared this story before, but it's worth sharing again. I was close to 40 years old when I was staring at myself in a mirror and staring back at me is me dressed from head to toe in a stormtrooper costume. And the situation is that I, I'm on the edge of buying this almost movie level quality stormtrooper costume. It's really expensive and it's really great quality. And I'm looking at it. And in that moment, I think, you know, there is not one part of me that wants to buy this stormtrooper costume. I have no need for it no use for it. And so I have this moment of reflection, how am I here? What? And I realize in this moment that I have had this little dream to own this costume for 30 years. I was you know, young. It was at the time when Return of the Jedi had just come out. And one of my older brothers said in passing, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to own like a costume just like in the movies? And a combination of the hype of that movie and the power of an older sibling to suggest an idea, somehow that little idea, that dream, had its effect for 30 years. And that's a trivial example, but it's become a symbol my wife Anna will use from time to time with me when I'm pursuing something, but perhaps for the wrong reasons, perhaps just because it was a goal from before. Or, and she will say, is this a stormtrooper? And in a way, I'm saying that to you right now, is it possible that the dream you've had has served you basically to the degree it needs to serve you, that it helped you make other decisions in your life, that, that the PhD and the career weren't going to dictate your life to you? It allowed you to be intentional about where to live and what to do and when to have a family and how that those things would be a higher priority for you and that those things have happened and that it's okay to be grateful for what that dream has given and also to let it go and to see perhaps it will come back later. Perhaps there'll be a desire at another season in your life, another chapter, but at least for now to let it go so that there's space to dream again. I wonder, in fact, if letting this go, this dream go, isn't actually the price for creating space for more dreaming in the future that it might not be exactly opposite of what your fear is, but that this will be the way for you to create enough space in your life again to be able to wonder, well, what is it now? What is it next? 
and something else can come forward. Go ahead. That makes perfect sense. I've been clinging on to this, I think, in part. Mm. It was my first essentialist exercise, if you will, living out this dream. Um, a big first, but a first. And I think I've had this subconscious fear that, and I'm seeing it sort of play out a little bit. If I let go of this dream rather than have another dream, I will slip back into old habits. I will slip back into what I know is not essential. I mean, I love my work. I enjoy the work that I do as a researcher, but it's not essential. And I know that. But when I ask myself, and I do actually, by the way, ask myself this frequently, what is essential now? If I don't have something, then I quickly think, oh, work, I must work. Oh, I need a job. And so I've been, I think, holding on to this as a safety blanket to prevent myself from slipping back into sort of those old habits. But you're right. It also makes sense that as long as I hold on to this so tightly, there's not going to be a space for something new. Yes. And this episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. You've added another important dynamic. You've revealed this next layer, which is the gravitational pull of career is strong enough that in the absence of a proper boundary, something, a counterweight, which for you has been Germany and this previous dream, without that, you're concerned that there'll be nothing to keep you from just simply getting back to where you were before, where there's nothing but career and it has consumed everything for you. That's what you're worried about. Another thing you're worried about, the next thing you're worried about is I'll, I will end up going back to how life was before. And I don't want that. That's what you're saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. And as you hear yourself saying this, what is your current thought and feeling about that? I'm of two minds. One, my first feeling is, oh, that's terrifying. That's fear. But immediately after I have this moment of, but it's up to me. There's a choice there. It's not a given. And the additional thing 
I can, I think I can sense in you, but you correct me, is the very fact that you fear it, the very fact that you have that, what feels like a strong, almost revulsion to going back to that life is evidence you are not who you once were, that you have become something new. And what I think you're saying underneath these words is, and I really, really want to carry on on my essentialist journey. I really want to proceed in a way that my values are what guide my life, not the levers and power of hierarchical career systems that tell you this is what you need to do next and this is how you're supposed to live your life. I feel in you a strong desire to take this different path. Am I exaggerating it? Is this how you feel? It is exactly how I feel. And funny enough, the image is coming. Have you seen Moana? Yes. <laughs> Do you remember the scene where she's on the boat and there's all these, I, I don't remember if it's spears or something is leaping at the boat, trying to pull the boat down. Yes. That's the image that just came to mind. That that's a little bit how it feels. Like I want to steer this boat to where I want to go. Um, I don't know where that is. And there's all these bits of... Um, norms in my career or expectations and fears nipping at my boat. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> it's kind of funny image. It's very dramatic, but it, it feels as though I'm not strong enough to guide the ship if I don't know where I'm going. That image, I think that image coming to you is, is inspired. That's how it strikes me that it's capturing for you several things at once is the things you already mentioned, this old life pulling at you, you know, that's the symbol of the, the javelins and whatever arrows coming at you. And then you're expressing it to me as fear that you won't be strong enough to be able to resist all that force. But what I also think is in the Moana story and in the moment you're describing is this very deep and exceedingly strong will and sense of mission within Moana. I mean, the entire story is that, is this, I mean, we, we love it in our family and we love it for all of our children, but for our three girls as well, the feeling that, that you have your own unique mission and it isn't to do what people before you have done. It's within you. And so I'm wondering, it's a question to you, is whether that is true, whether th there is a feeling within you, even though you don't know the specifics of it, but a feeling of the something else, the something else that I'm supposed to do, even if, as I say, you don't know what it is, your thoughts. Absolutely there is. And there always has been. I've never known what it is, but that's what's pulled me away from an academic career. That's what's pulled me to Germany and to becoming a mother. Um, it's funny, I didn't think this would come back to a Disney movie, but it absolutely feels really resonant right now. I want to observe for you that the path that's taken you to Germany is really significant. It's not Germany that's significant. It's that you had at one time, you know, it wasn't javelins being shot at you. It was fully attached to you you know, like anchors keeping you in a certain way. 
and it's really big that you took the path you've taken. That that's essentialism. As you know, the book has only just given a little additional permission, you know, a little extra language. But underneath it is a much bigger, much more important drive to this other. There is something other calling me, pulling me forward, and. I think actually the power you needed to do that in the first place could easily be the same thing that's pulling you back to the US as well. It's not a, a failure of that internal desire. It's just a change in the Germany dream. Um, the next phase of the deeper, more ongoing feeling, which is I will not make career my thing, the thing. It's important. I like it. It's a, there's a place for it. I, I'm good at it. I'm competent. I, it, it plays its role, but I don't want it to take center stage. And I think that your decisions over these last few years show that it isn't. And I, I'm trying to shine a light on that journey for you a little for a moment, just to have you pause and recognize the significance of the trade-offs you have made. and again, as evidence that you aren't being dictated to, that you really are discerning and detecting something within you. And this next step is scarier because you don't know what it is instead. You are still detecting and seeking that internal guidance that has led you where you are physically right now. Does it make sense? It does. And in some ways, I hadn't really realized this. Moving back to Germany was this really, I just knew I had to almost to reintegrate coming emigrating as a teenager meant that I had sort of split selves. I, I had the German child and the American sort of adolescent and adult. And I knew coming back to Germany, just intuitively, I needed to do that for myself to come into whatever whole self I would become. And that absolutely has happened. And it's the same deep, strong feeling that I know I just have to go back to the US now. I mean, I think it's obvious really at this point in the conversation, but my thought for you is to feel courage that you are in fact following the essentialist way, for want of a better term, in wanting again to be with family. And I think that's the word that keeps coming to my mind as I'm listening to you, is that really this has all been about family. And family in a broad sense, family in terms of my place in family, and then my desire to create a family, and now a desire to be back with family. And frankly, it matters more to me than other things. And in this case for you, more than my career. The career is good, but this for me is essential. How do you feel right now in the conversation? What is your current sensation i feel a bit lighter i feel a bit lighter having a sense of i feel focused i suppose from your words to god's ears i mean i had a conversation recently with a gentleman who just said the most important organization in the world is family and i i so agree and yet in so many years of studying organizations and it is rare that that is spoken so clearly. But here in this case, you have been guided by this and you are following this. And and what I feel in you as I listen today is 
is the the depth of that current. Again, using the water analogy, that there's a, a strong undercurrent. And what I think is exciting as I listen to you as you go through this journey and conversation today is is how strong that current is with you and that you are well on your way to actually the next dream. The next dream just isn't Germany. The next dream is to be where your parents are, where your family is, to be able to continue to build that. And I'll use some, you know, the words intergenerational family and to make sure that that is prioritized and kept sacred and not consumed by really any other forces. You know, you've just helped me actually understand that nothing's really changed in the sense of what is essential for me. Nothing's changed in my direction. Just what decisions and what sort of lived circumstances make it possible. The actual answer to what is essential now has been the same all along. Basically, and I haven't realized that. I think that's been my trouble is that I felt like I lost the answer to that question. But actually, it's been the same answer all along. Thank you. I think you name it correctly. And I think that Germany had become the the word and the place for this deeper value. And now you're able to unlock that, separate that and say, no, that was just a manifestation of what the value was. And so that value now lives on in a new manifestation. That's the right word. It's something that can be both permanent and changing at all times. The underlying thing is always there, but we may not see it in the same way every time. And discerning between the two is tricky, but also you're doing it. And so even at this new crossroads where something that was so symbolically important to you, such a symbolic manifestation of what really was essential to you, can even there you're able to now discern. Yes, it's been a bit of a wrestle, but you are still making these new decisions. And so what led you there is also what's leading you to the next chapter in your adventure uh, with what really is essential. Annika, it has been my real pleasure and honor. Uh, For me, it's sacred to really experience for just a moment your life, your wrestles, your openness, and your honesty and in helping to, to share and show what's essential. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute privilege. You're incredibly good at reflecting and, and seeing what's underneath. I really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, essentialists, one and all, we've come to that moment again, the end of the show. Thank you really sincerely for listening. And if you like this conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave a review there, especially write a comment so that other people can find us and we can continue to grow the momentum of this essentialist tribe. It's been amazing to see what's happened already. This show is of, by, and for that essentialist community. And so please share with me through the website at either gregmcewan.com or essentialism.com your questions, your stories, your experiences with this podcast, with the book Essentialism, with your experiences, we can continue to expand and make a difference in the world. Uh, Remember, if you don't remember anything else from today, to ask what's essential.
and eliminate as much as possible everything else. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.